Welcome back to the Lightfoot Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Stephen Reed. He is a cooperative technologist and cultural changemaker who has trained in the fields of complexity science, physics, software development, meditation, psychotherapy, plant medicine, conscious sexuality, and political activism. Quite the combination of interests. We delve deep into the fascinating world of the blockchain, zeroing in on DAOs and some of the more progressive projects emerging in the space. We also explore the state of the psychedelic movement and the potential for the integration of community cultivation and psychedelic medicine distribution. Stephen also shares his Taoist perspective on the merger of the political and the spiritual. It's a really wonderful conversation. Without further ado, I bring you Stephen Reed. Okay, Stephen, hello and welcome to the Lightfoot Podcast. It is a real pleasure to be with you here today. Thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm very excited to have this discussion. There's so many fascinating and interesting things that you're up to that I want to delve into. Um, Perhaps the first thing I want to ask is uh, a little bit about where you're based, which is in Devon, I believe. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? Yeah, in in Totnest in Devon in southwest England. Uh, I've been living here for uh, getting on a couple of years now, I guess. And yeah, it's a really beautiful part of the country, part of the world. Uh, we're just half an hour from, from Dartmoor, uh, a kind of very rugged and wild national park uh, to the north of Totnes. And then half an hour to the south is the beautiful South Devon coastline with some really spectacular beaches and, and cliffs. And uh, yeah, I feel really lucky to be here. Yeah. Did you move from a bigger city to the kind of the, the countryside? I was living in London for most of the past 10 years. Um, I left London to kind of become a bit nomadic at the end of 2017 um, Mm. and kind of attempted to settle back in London uh, in in 2019. But uh, from that point, it it didn't quite feel right. And uh, I came to Totnes intending only to spend a month here, actually, and uh, and then maybe a month in at least uh, one other place, Stroud. And I, I never made it out of Totnes. <laughs> so it's one of those, sto- you know, you hear stories like this sometimes, don't you? But I, I just got stuck here. So, yeah, I'm one of those. That's cool. Is it, there seems to be all sorts of fascinating things going on there. I imagine you have your fingers in a lot of it. But was there a, a kind of community sense, uh, you know, kind of this metamodern feeling going on before you arrived there? Um, did it, metamodern, I wouldn't necessarily say that but it's certainly Totnes has certainly been like a a hub of kind of uh, alternative activity it was the birthplace of the transition towns movement Um, it Mm. has a remarkable place called uh, the Dartington Estate part of which is Schumacher College which teaches Ah. all kinds of interesting courses on uh, uh, economics and regeneration and so on and um, so there's definitely that that streak of uh, yeah alternative and re, you know regener- regenerative transition thinking running through this place. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm yearning uh, for that kind of experience. I actually grew up in London as well, and I'm based in between uh, Melbourne and Chiang Mai right now. And, and even those two places feeling a little bit little bit large on the city side. So kind of circling around for that 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 mm. smaller town existence and i think it's quite common amongst a lot of folks at the moment that are really kind of moving in that direction so mm. i don't know i get great pleasure from hearing that you're well settled and uh, enjoying yourself there 
Yeah, sure. Come and visit, you know. <laughs> and it's, it's uh, uh, I think, at least in the UK, it seems like, well, us, I should say amongst my peer group, at least, a lot of people have been moving out of London um, to either smaller cities or, or even smaller places since the pandemic. Or I actually kind of somehow timed it quite well as I actually arrived in Totnes or six months before that kind of all kicked off. But um, yeah, I think it's a really fascinating time where um, a lot of um, a lot of bodies, a lot of energy is is flowing out of the the city and uh, seeking to create or live in live in new ways and. Uh, that's not gonna uh, not gonna be without its complications you know because uh, uh, we it's what at, at worst it constitutes a kind of you know gentrification of mm-hmm. of the of the countryside and so I think we have to like bear that in mind uh, but at, at best it's about like letting the land and letting the you know the, the people that were here <laughs> before us uh, change us, and cert- certainly, I felt the um, well the, the effect of of the land on me. Just how uh, perhaps even you know even, even more than the, uh, the town of Totnes, the, the Dart- Dartmoor, and the coast, just have kind of just gradually, subtly <laughs> been changing my consciousness and helping me to become a, a more humble and uh, slower creature. I think. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, I've been also experiencing that connecting in with the local biosphere and, and letting it change me. And uh, yeah, I think there's just profound wisdom in that reading, reading Tyson Juncker Porter lately, who's actually also based here in Melbourne. Mm. Uh, the book Sand Talk, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Um, I am. Yeah, big fan. Yeah. Yeah, that's really got me slowing down and listening to the land a lot more. And it's... Uh, it's yeah, it's transforming me, as you say, which is a, a beautiful process. Um, the uh, it's slowing me down somewhat, and I've still got a long way to go. But it's mm. it's a it's a beautiful process. So you you seem to be well uh, embedded in some of the really most fascinating online community initiatives I've come across, and um, I wonder if you also feel that you have that physical uh, version in real life around you there in Totnes. Uh, it, you're talking about community, I guess. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, certainly. I feel like I'm in, yeah, embedded, um, you know, in, in a very kind of active and, and caring community here. Um, a bunch of other, well, even before I was, um, uh, a bunch of other good friends have moved down also the past months. But but even before then, I was um, had the pleasure of making some um, some deep connections with people with just similar shared interests and, and outlook who uh, had already been living in these parts for for some time. And so yeah, and I have an interesting mixture between uh, connections of you know the people that have been um, around here for, for for many years, and then some some folk that are even newer than me to to these parts. And um, together, yeah, we're creating some beautiful things. Like something that comes to mind is uh, is Pondfield, a, a community garden just outside of Dartington, uh, where every every Sunday the community gathers to. Um, to to dig beds and then to um, um, you know plant, plant seeds, watch the vegetables grow, and there's also a, a roundhouse there which houses much um, you know many jolly fires and, and music and, and singing, hmm. uh, and a very beautiful wood-fired sauna, and so uh, that's a, that's one place 
that's a, that's a bit of a hub of activity even even in these pandemic times is you know because it's all outdoors that it's a uh, feels, feels safe enough to gather yeah ah it's lovely yeah i saw you guys had the the tot i think you were involved in the totness convergence that was going to happen that, that didn't happen last year but that that seemed like it was going to be a really beautiful event exactly yeah that was due to happen in june last year and the pandemic wiped that one out i'm afraid um but yeah, we're hoping we'll hope to do something similar again as uh, things become more more possible. Uh, the intention yeah. for that was to gather uh, about th- you know, three hundred people for a uh, f- uh, I think it was four day event uh, between Totnes and, and Dartington, with the kind of centerpiece being um, a day in in Dartington Hall, this amazing I think it's thirteenth century hall, which is um, has hosted a lot of magical occasions across the years. And uh, that had a strong like metamodern streak to it, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, well, and the I guess the other aspect was just including many of the fantastic facilitators that have gathered around the Psychedelic Society, which is the organisation I've been working on and with for several years now. And uh, yeah, we the Psychedelic Society can well continues to run 30 40 events a month now, right now all online um we did previously have a physical space hopefully we'll have a physical space again soon but um yeah we've we've encountered and i've i've had the pleasure to encounter all kinds of talented people in that context many of whom uh, were planning to kind of come and offer some of their gifts at totness convergence so uh, yeah let's hope that can uh, can happen again at some point relatively soon Yes, I hope to come and join you. I, I really felt the um the magic around that. And that, that was based on the software platform, the Dandelion Collective that you've produced, I imagine, this this uh, events coordinating yeah. system. Yeah, so I went to Nowhere Festival, which is one of the largest European Burning Man events um, for the first time in 2014 and was, was really inspired by my time there. And... Uh, I imagine you and many of your listeners will be somewhat familiar with, you know, kind of Burning Man culture, burn culture, which is yeah. the idea of like, you know, highly participatory, highly co-created festivals is where there's not really a distinction between uh, you know, crew or artists and and, partic- and uh, uh, the audience, let's say, you know, everyone's uh, responsible for <laughs> for putting on the entertainment, for, um, for, for cooking, for cleaning, for making it all happen. And uh, with friends that I met at Nowhere, and then back in the UK, we started putting on co-created gatherings at a smaller scale for like up to 150 people usually um, for four or five days at a time, um, but based on similar principles. Um, And we've run about, I think, 10, maybe 15 of such gatherings over the past, well, what is it, like sort of, six seven years now even and uh they have yeah they've been really profound and like a a lot of people have made some really very important connections and and breakthroughs in the context of these these gatherings and uh first we were just organizing them using a mishmash of google docs and google sheets but as a ruby developer i thought hey we can do better than this so i started working on a web app uh, which has had a few different names actually, um, but is now uh, called uh, yeah is now called, uh, is Dandelion at, at, at Dandelion.earth, um, and 
uh, it's as far as I know, like the, the the best, the smoothest way of of handling these kind of co-created gatherings. It works well for both standalone events and also camps at larger events like Burning Man or Nowhere or Borderland. Hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, that's kind of still in active development. Uh, been a little little bit slower, you know, since since people haven't been able to actually gather in, sure. in person. Um, I've been kind of you know, focusing actually on other parts of the site, but certainly it's a, it's a platform that I'm still really excited about and just through and, you know, in, but not for its own sake, but in the context of the gatherings themselves producing such, uh, such deep experiences. Yeah. Stephen, I get the sense that you're kind of a wizard with, with many different skills and one of them being, just, I don't know, manifestation in general and combined with your knowledge of tech and coding, it seems just you're really at the nexus of, of creating, uh, you know, platforms and, and, and the ability for communities to thrive. I'm, I'm so interested in your nexus of studies and uh, all the different educational backgrounds you've got. It's just truly fascinating. We could spend two or three hours doing a little uh, guided tour of all the little interesting projects you're involved in, but I guess the two major areas that I wanted to kind of explore in our time today were uh, DAOs and also mm -hmm. the, the psychedelic uh, society and the, and the mm -hmm. movement that's going on there. So um, let's, let's talk a little bit about DAOs first, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, mm -hmm. Just arriving in a big way. There's, uh, I just read an article today that was saying that uh, DAOs are about to have their NFT moment, that they've kind of been around for a while, but they're really starting to gain some traction. And um, you've been running the DAO Autopia for a while now, and I wondered if you'd tell us a little bit about it, where it's at, and um, I'm particularly interested in exploring the potential for community cultivation through it. So yeah, maybe that's something you want to touch on. Yeah, um, I guess, should I say a little bit about, you know, DAOs themselves first before talking yeah, about Autopia? Sure. Yeah, Go sure. So, yeah, decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, a good a good starting point is to um, just consider them as blockchain-based tools for participatory budgeting. Um, they, you know, they, they can be a lot more than that, but participatory budgeting is something that I imagine some of your listeners will be familiar with. It's, um, it's first originated in... Uh, in a kind of a civic context in Brazil in the 80s in the town of Porto Alegre, where, mm. uh, and the idea is that rather than just elected representatives deciding how to spend all of the town's money, some of the money uh, would actually be put into a pot where any citizen could propose, I think we should spend this much money on, on this thing, and then uh, and then everyone would vote on uh, you know, what, what which proposals to, to fund. Um, a kind of like directly democratic way of, of handling Know, funding of, of public goods and um, there are uh, yeah there's a there are online tools to kind of handle this kind of thing that, that don't you know that don't rely on any kind of blockchain technology the most uh, well no one is co-budget which is used by Inspiral of which I'm a member and also one of the largest tech co-ops in the UK called Outlandish and uh, well in the case of Outlandish like every quarter um, a certain proportion of the profits that have been made by the company in you know, the previous or in, in that quarter are put into co-budget and uh, each uh, employee is or member of the of the co-op is allocated a certain number of uh, 
no points so you could just simply consider it like a certain proportion of that budget and that they can allocate to various projects which are proposed by the members of the co-op themselves um, and it's a kind of like it, you can think of it as a kind of like internal crowdfunding system in the context of an organization mm. um, and uh, so that that's yeah that's that's a kind of decent way in um and that the there is a the other aspect of of DAOs is not is actually about ownership they um uh they can actually be used in a well let's take let's take an example of of DAO of DAO house DAOs because you know different DAOs platforms have slightly different flavors and and setups Mm -hmm. but but um in in DAO house DAOs allow people to actually own shares in the DAO, which are uh, grant them voting power, decision-making power um, over proposals that are made to the DAO, but they also grant financial rights, ec- economic rights. So um, if and, and DAO house DAOs have a kind of permanent treasury, they can actually store funds over the over the long term you can you can actually sort of send money to a DAO, and that money will be kind of locked sitting in the DAO until you know a proposal is made of how how it should be spent and um the yeah in, in DAO house DAOs, um uh, at, at any point you can uh you can in the language it's, it's burn you can choose to burn some of your shares in proportion uh, or, or for a proportionate amount of the, the 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 coins, the tokens like locked in the DAO's treasury, this process is called rage quitting, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's yeah I find it's it's really uh, funny, very it's, I think it's a very powerful, very interesting concept. Essentially, any if at any point you're not happy with the direction that the DAO, you know, the collective is is taking, you can mm-hmm. choose to say, okay, I'm out. And but you but when you when you when you step out you know you don't leave with nothing you leave with your fair share of of what presumably you've helped to to accumulate you know through through your time working in for the DAO um, and this is it actually reminds me of some of the work of Max Borders Max Max Borders was behind a festival called Voice and Exit where mm. um, and where and I've heard him speak uh, quite eloquently around the way that. Um, if it, and paradoxically, almost, if you want people to, or, or one of the best ways to help people feel really committed to a project, is make their their exit route v- very clear and very fair. Mm. <laughs> and that's one of the things mm. I really like about DAOs. It, it's t- you know they're, they're transparent by default, including like transparent in you know in, in in exits, and everyone knows that you know at any point they can step out. And and they'll leave, you know, with 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 that fair share. So, um, and yeah, my experience is actually that that actually yeah conjures a certain, uh, actually a greater sense of togetherness and 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 commitment to to many of the projects that have been using them. Mm, yeah, I mean, if you if you know you can leave at any time, you, you can kind of commit a lot more deeply. It's almost like that in relationships as well, isn't it? Exactly, like exactly, exactly. This, yeah. you know, it's, a le- it's a lesson that really cuts across a lot of different fields and, and in some ways, you know, is now being implemented in the context of, uh, yeah, cooperative organizations in the context of DAOs. 
Yeah. So our community in, in Chiang Mai is, is flirting with this idea. We have a particularly blockchain savvy member who uh, we just built a new community center um, and we've got to pay rent on it, which mm-hmm. isn't too much, thankfully, because it's in Chiang Mai, which is one of the benefits there. But a group of us have uh, chipped in some crypto and uh, through different DeFi platforms, we're kind of taking the interest on that um, and paying the rent. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to create a DAO around that. And so we're mm-hmm. excited to start experimenting with with all the other things that we can do with that. We had a, a wonderful chap come through last year, uh, Jeff, I forget his second name. He's um, really involved in token bonding curves. And he came in and, and really mm-hmm. blew our minds about what's possible with kind of uh, liquid democracy and where tokens are going to go. And so mm-hmm. I'm just really trying to just get my head around you know what are the potentials of DAOs uh beyond you know really amazing kind of uh, efficient decentralized investment vehicles which you know that's a that's a great thing that's a powerful thing mm-hmm. i'm trying to get a taste of how we can use them to like uh create these really next level you know, regenerative communities you know i was out of uh so uh, let me say that they're not a magic bullet, right? Like they, yes. you, you, that a DAO is really only as good as the people, as the members that are, you know, the, uh-huh. or the people that are part of it. And it still absolutely relies on the, you know, the humans behind it being kind, understanding, you know, intelligent people. If, if the DAO is, is going to go well, like it, it, it can't, a DAO doesn't grant that kind of kindness or understanding that. So that's still like up to the individuals to display it. So just, that's just maybe a caution, cautionary note is like, yes, yes um, they are, they, they constitute an excellent like coordination layer. Um, but you know, it's, uh, there's, there's a lot more to running a decentralized and effectively decentralized organization than just having that like a good coordination layer. Now, um, they, and, and I'll also say that actually lots of the ideas have been around in the context of the cooperative movement with, uh, for, you know, a hundred years or more now, it's mm-hmm. not like, and it's, um, the, uh, the, the, I guess the the difference with DAOs is that you're you're taking that these ideas are being implemented in this uh, way that's that's transparent by by default with with that's, that's censorship resistant or we might say equivalently that has no central points of failure. So this idea of uh, I, I didn't actually mention that in, in in the context of DAO house DAOs is, is another you have these you have standard shares grant both voting rights and economic rights. There's also another kind of share which in Dow House DAOs are called loot, which which doesn't grant voting rights, it just grants economic rights, which sometimes mm. is appropriate for granting to investors that might want to um, yeah, be willing to put some money to the project and might want to, you know, it might feel fair for them to for benefit from that investment, but it doesn't feel right for them to have actually kind of day-to-day decision-making capacity over, you know, what's what the organization is doing. Yeah. Now that 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 idea is um, uh, uh, has actually um, yeah has a, there being a, a kind of two d- different classes of shares, some of which might grant voting rights, some of which might not, um, has been around in the co-op movement for for many years now. I guess the the difference is in a DAO that um, there's. Uh, yeah, this is this is a, a, a truly decentralized system. It's a 
it's there's there there is there's no concept of an admin of a DAO, for example. You know, in the mm-hmm. in the context of a co- even a cooperative organization, you would have um, you would still have to appoint a uh, well, at the very least, a, 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 like a, a board of directors, and there would be like one or some people that had like ultimate legal responsibility um, yeah. over that organization, even if there were actually the, the co-op was made of many many members. With, with, with DAOs, you know, that's 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 not the case and um it's uh just that it's 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 a a subtle but but very powerful shift um it's that i I, I guess i could um relate it to the the way in which there is there's a bunch of organizations experimenting with things like holacracy sociocracy teal organizing now that Mm -hmm. um and Rich Dennis Bartlett wrote a fantastic article saying that like, if you haven't, if you don't also have some kind of cooperative ownership, all the like all this kind of teal stuff is is kind of bullshit because like at any mm-hmm. point the CEO or whoever's actually still in charge can turn around and say, uh, actually like let's you know not enjoying this anymore, let's scrap it, let's return to a hierarchy. And you, you can unfortunately you can find some quite high profile stories of this this happening. Mm. I think even Zappos, which was a poster child of holacracy, right? Actually, yeah, and it's like kind of went back on that and, and reverted to some kind of more hierarchical structure, uh-huh. and that was possible presumably because it actually it hadn't fully like you know cooperatized its its ownership structure. It was attempting to kind of like to kind of work you know work in different ways, but without that piece, then yeah, these you know, can that progress can be reverted in some way, and um, in some sense, so. DAOs represent a kind of step in uh, transparency and decentralization, um, even even beyond um, kind of legally registered um, cooperatives. By by making it the case that you know, tr- you know, truly there is there is not even this um, this this board of directors, and um, not not to mention the case. And this is like a separate point, I guess, but a very important one that they're global by default. That. Mm. Um, yeah, the, the UK actually has really a very active like trade body supporting cooperatives, and um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff going on here. But it's it's comparatively difficult for people of other countries to get involved with a, a co-op that was registered in the UK if they if they weren't living here, um, mm. or certainly to, certainly to set one up. Um, whereas, yeah, that, you know. DAOs are a cooperative organization. Yeah, above any national law, at least you know. Yeah, and that um, that really you know seems resonant with these times where we're facing a this this kind of coalescing of of of, of, of multiple kind of global crises that um, you know climate change and biodiversity loss and, and pandemic and so on. No, none of those challenges like respect borders none of them give a shit about mm. <laughs> um you know you know nation states and so to it, it kind of seems like we've reached a uh like in dows at least we 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 at least we're talking on the right level you know to uh, we 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 found something that is similarly <laughs> disrespectful of borders <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah, which, yeah, which, like which, gi- which which gives it like the at least the right quality has the right qu- like feeling taste quality about it to potentially being able to 
like meet some of these challenges, these global challenges which we're facing. Whether whether we actually will is, a t- it is an entirely different question. But like, I'm like, okay, like now we're talking. You know, now this seems like a good. You know, we th- there's some possibility here to to coordinate at appropriate scale. Mm, I appreciate that perspective. I, I like that framing. I. <sighs> I feel a bit of onus and pressure actually to to kind of be a part of this small movement that are making use of these tools for progressive ends because you know we've seen the promise of blockchain come and just get usurped as a you know mechanism for getting rich and the and the the financial drivers behind it which you know were part of its genius that's what that's what it was set up to to grow through people's greed bitcoin at least which is i think quite amazing but yeah, far out. There was, you know, the, the the potential of what it could have been has been a lot slower than I was hoping. You know, this sort of these these early projects, Holochain that I was hearing about years ago, had taken a while to get there, and yet we've seen mm. these other DeFi systems just iterate and, and go nuts. People are people mm. are making a lot of cash out of it, and I um I guess it's, I'm really just dancing with DAOs at the moment because. I see their potential, but I, I wonder if they lack a bit of soul because ultimately I feel that that mm-hmm. human element. I think they need to be in tandem with the kind of spirit and soul of communitas and uh, yeah. uh, heart, really. Well, you know, well, I've, I, I've, you know, I've, I've been speaking them or relating them, you know, to the kind of cooperative movement, which is certainly not how everyone thinks of them. There are, you know, there mm-hmm. are there exist a number of like for, you know for profit DAOs that are being run by VC firms, and so it's um, yeah. it's possible to conceive of them in in other ways. But I, in, in I guess in some sense, I've been speaking them. And to them along the lines of 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 what are known as discos um i don't know if you've heard of this acronym but this is uh-huh. um, this stands for Di- distributive cooperative organizations and mm. there's a um the, the site discos is, that's great i love yeah, that so the, the site for this is, is disco.coop i believe and they are almost exactly as you said they're like um they're um saying that there's a uh you know the technology is neutral in a way and it's really about like what culture we bring to it that determines whether it will be used for <laughs> for good or evil you know to mm. um to you know to be slightly facetious but um sure. there's uh uh yeah i think it's uh it's uh, this is i guess one of the reasons why i've been teaching this course on crypto and DeFi is that i feel that i uh, and through the psychedelic society that uh, i felt that um there is a there's an ongoing like struggle for the for the heart if you like of of mm. of, of the blockchain world <laughs> like what yes. you know whether and whether, whether yeah, it whether it is simply going to be just like you know another tool for just like meaningless financial games or whether it is going to be like the seed of a new kind of civilization based on uh you know on, on transparent global co- cooperation and i figure that it's uh <laughs> it's the yeah it's the more people that maybe carry some of these uh the cooperative values that we can get involved in this space at this early stage and it is still as far as i can see a very early stage the the better so um yeah for mm. anyone that anyone that knows of or even has an inkling of the significance of this technology then i would say it's 
uh well maybe invite people to even feel a certain sense of responsibility to like <laughs> to get yes. involved you know because yes. like this 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 could be a really big deal but um it's uh yeah it's by no means uh certain that this this technology is going to be uh you know it's going to head in the right direction there's what the one thing that uh, mentioned another project which makes me feel quite optimistic Mm-hmm. Um, right now is is the Panvala League, which is a really fascinating system for for match funding for for mm. communities that are um, doing social and environmental good. Um, mm. And but the the just yeah this this group of it was started by this um, very um, warm and energetic uh, chap called Naran. And uh, anyway, around the the communities that maybe first were. You know, some just totally fair enough interested in just the match funding aspect of Pambala are now actually organizing into coalitions and kind of working groups um, uh, where the, where they've seen that actually they have a kind of similar mission or similar outlook. And uh, yeah, I think the Panvala League is probably one of the, uh, it's the, 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 <laughs> the kind of most uh, interesting bastions of of kind of social and environmental purpose in in the blockchain world right now so if you're an organization that and i'll say like you don't have to be um don't, you don't have to be kind of developing a kind of you know uh, a blockchain based app or anything like this to join panvala league you just have to be kind of like crypto aware crypto savvy so for example dandelion collective um the work cooperative that i work on recently joined the panvala league um and of course we're not doing anything like directly related to to blockchain that we though i and you know others in the organization are, are somewhat familiar with it now so um any yeah. probably probably anyone that's listening to this that's involved in any kind of organization that that is <laughs> seeking to do social environmental good could you know could could check out panvala and consider applying wicked that sounds great i where I get excited, I mean, other than the, the the more niche project, I want to talk to you a bit about the seeds token as well, and 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 just these uh, you know really exciting innovative areas. Is also on the broader kind of uh, more macro stage where these decentralized technologies are coming uh, in contact with large populations of people that otherwise wouldn't be using them. Like there's certain distributions that have happened on some of these uh, token networks where large groups of people from all over the world have had to start voting together to make Mm. decisions. And they've gone from, it's almost like that leapfrog effect from going from, you know, like not having any power to suddenly having awesome decentralized solar power. It's that same idea. They were operating on really kind of old school, uh, centralized, nationalistic bureaucracies wherever they're based um and then suddenly they're jumping into this with, with a profit motive but the profit motive is exposing millions and millions of people to to how to vote together and, and use decentralized systems and and kind of raise consciousness and that for me that's really really exciting it's it's kind of this uh, stealth backdoor way of, of people getting exposed of, of organizing in whole new ways yeah yeah i think some of what you're referring to there is um, or something that it made me think of is the the culture of of, of airdrops of in the, mm. the the crypto world right now, which is that like um, so the most famous one probably was with Uniswap, where yeah. um, Uniswap like created a new Uni token and and dropped well, at the time I think it was like 
sort of $3,000 worth of uni tokens upon anyone that had ever previously used the, the Uniswap app, which is like a very popular app for swapping between tokens. And then the price of uni has gone up, I think, tenfold more or less since then. So like, yeah. basically, if, if you'd held on to it, you'd actually like you would have, um, you know, potentially for just using paying just a few dollars to use Uniswap once probably to do something, you know, you would have Need, wanted or needed to do anyway like you've now might be sitting on 20 or thirty thousand dollars and this of, of, of these uni tokens and this is um I, I really enjoy making links between these kind of this culture of airdrops and and the the, the platform co-ops movement uh-huh. so um i don't know whether you've heard of things like things like fair bnb or or, or ever but this is so um it's uh, it's this is the thought experiment we could you know i have I ask people to to engage in is you know what okay. if um, uh, what if every time you you t- you rode an Uber you you Uber gave you a small share of you know in 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 the company of Uber or what if every time that you uh, you you know rented an Airbnb you got a small share in in Airbnb like it it seems yeah. kind of uh, we and we could say like you know or just let's imagine what if Uber was actually owned by the riders and the drivers rather than just a handful of guys in Silicon Valley or what if Airbnb was actually owned by the people renting the houses and the people offering the houses and it's it seems like once you start thinking about it, it seems like totally obvious that this should be the case <laughs> you know it's like you think and that, it's inevitable and well this is this is what the platform cooperatives movement is all about is trying to create put, put when, with platform in this context refers to like digital platform um like you know as we talk about uber airbnb as digital platforms and um trying to yeah trying to kind of create equivalent platform services that are actually owned by the actual users um, and potentially the workers as well. So we, in more generally, because there are examples of multi-stakeholder cooperatives where there's like yeah. um, ownership shared between the, the users, the, the workers, and potentially investors to some degree. Knowing, understanding yeah. that actually capital investment it can often be an important part of like getting a business going. So this it's not like you know we shouldn't and we shouldn't shy away from that. But um, so. Mm. Uh, yeah, this is. It's been really fascinating to me to sort of see that the, um, the kind of rise of the platform co-ops movement. Um, so yeah, I mentioned Fair BNB, which is a kind of um, trying to you know pla- platform co trying to you know take on Airbnb. Um, there's a an Ever is a um, is a uh, platform co-op competitor to Uber, which is actually pretty, quite successful in, in Quebec, I think, in Canada at the moment. Um, now, I. Yes, essentially something similar is it's going on in the world of DeFi, has been going on in the world of DeFi for, which is decentralized finance, you know, the crypto space for uh, a, like a number of months now, at least, mm. which is, yeah, like the, the, the ownership of these um, current, <laughs> currently, and I think what will continue to be very valuable DeFi protocol products and protocols is being given away to the people that are using them. So actually, it's, 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 and it's, it's, I found it very curious that people in the DeFi space don't generally don't seem to have any knowledge of platform co-ops and like don't yeah. like it's it's but actually like from my point of view that something very very similar is, is is going on and that is of course how um where a lot of the um that is the magic money tree in DeFi right now you know it's like people yeah. like how you know how how is it possible that they're able to that many of these projects are able to pay these crazy rates of interest it's because the interest is actually being paid in the form of the tokens of the projects themselves so, so that mm-hmm. is to say essentially that you know these projects are giving away ownership of the project to the people using their platform and that's what that's where these these like crazy rates of return come from and so it's and that's that i think is something um to be 
yeah celebrate it like it's it's awesome oh, if, it's you know, if, if like, that, that if you know if that 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 is that that that's all I would almost say is like the most interesting, the most powerful part of, of DeFi. It's like, yeah, I mean, cool. of course, the apps are, it's, it's rad that the apps are decentralized and censorship resistant, but more yeah. it's, it's like, it's just like the culture that's taken hold of like giving it, giving it away, giving ownership away. And I know. I think, I think, it's, I think I just, yeah, just lastly, like, I think it's, um, yeah, it's not, uh, I, I, I don't. Ne- I don't necessarily think money or markets are the um, the problem, or at least at the root of our problems. I actually think you know mm-hmm. a, a closer statement of what's what, what's up with capitalism is is ownership and is the 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 uh, the, the possibility of, of hoarding wealth. Now, if we had like if we had truly like uh, uh, distributed ownership, where say you know like people uh, you know people all over the world owned a meaningful stake or were able to like build up some kind of share or stake in the products and the services that they were using you know every time i you know for the fact i'm using an apple laptop means that every day i get a little bit of a share in apple and the fact i you know i'm shopping at a certain supermarket means i start getting a share in that supermarket and so on like uh, if some if somehow we could normalize that possibility like i think that um it, it well it would it would clear yeah, I, I would i anticipate it would have major effects on wealth inequality um uh, yeah. rather rather than like money being you know just kind of sucked sucked up and to the um to the kind of uh, like elite shareholder class we would it would you know we with us all being shareholders then um that that money would would um yeah be be falling all across society um and uh yeah the constant and maybe this is a segue to seeds in a second but like the concentration Mm -hmm. of of wealth yeah so um people like the blockchain enables us to experiment with like uh characteristics uh, behaviors of money that uh policymakers in for fiat currencies have been unable or unwilling to 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 try out to experiment with mm. so so one that actually uh, i've heard a guy called sep cambarasello speak about a couple of times is, mm-hmm. is is demirage this idea of like of, of like money that decays so yeah. that would and of course, which is uh, uh this is and so seeds are seeking to in, uh, to implement something like this um and inspired by the natural world like everything you know, everything in the natural world decays right you leave fruit in your bowl yeah. come back a week later it's going to be moldy you know so like wh- like what if what if money was like that as well you know it's not so, and uh, which actually so this kind of you know, money that decays actually encourages its circulation there's no point keeping it if it's going to go off you might as well you know it, you should you should spend it you should keep it circulating and so um the uh yeah, it's it's bit it's been interesting for me as someone who's had a kind of like anti-capitalist background and at times has uh-huh. um, been like uh, kind of kind of just just blank quite blanket critical of of capitalism and um, yeah. kind of like money money and money games in all their forms to have maybe developed a more. I think sophisticated and subtle perspective on okay, maybe like maybe money isn't the problem. Like I actually think money now is a kind of language, and that mm. if we, um, if and that at least it's well, let's say the blockchain technology gives us 
the possibility of uh like i say language or, or maybe a game yeah maybe a game is a better metaphor in this instance yeah it gives us the possibility of like designing the rules of the game to um to promote um ecological and and, and social health justice uh and that's uh that's an enormously exciting possibility Hmm, enormously exciting. I'm feeling it as we're speaking. I'm feeling the the electricity of the potential of these ideas of of wrapping my head around the the fact that, as you say, these ideas have been around for a long time. You know, I'm I'm not sure if you've ever come across Bernard Lyotard before. I think he's he's Belgian. He's been like a leading thinker around complementary currency and this idea of demurrage mm. for a while. And it, yeah, they're great theories, but well, how are you going to implement that unless you've mm-hmm. got some serious clout at the Reserve Bank? Mm-hmm. And we can do it now. We can we can enact these cooperative ideas with a few clicks of a button. And just yeah. as you talk about it, like I've been I've been involved with Nexo, which is one of the uh, big DeFi projects, and mm-hmm. it's just so revolutionary. People are owning the bank and they're not even realizing that that's what's going on. They're they're rushing in most of the time to get these high interest rates, Mm. but just by enacting and being part of this process that will hopefully evolve to really even more distributed and decentralized ownership, they are, you know, cutting the legs out from banks as we know them. And it's, Mm. it's just such an elegant process because these aren't even revolutionaries. These aren't even left, left, progressive people a lot of them and and that to me is incredibly exciting when those things align that that feeling you mentioned of like it just feels so right of hang on why can't i own the thing that i'm using there just seems to be an inherent uh it just makes sense you explain that to anyone and and they're going to be into that and now that the technology can enable that these large centralized giants are going to have to i mean they've got you know a few years of brainwashing and marketing up their sleeve of you know with a with a safe option but that's yeah. once we have some examples yeah. i feel like there'll be a tide of change and that's going to change society as much as i think as much as the internet this is the promise of the blockchain unfolding right yeah i mean i i think something just occurred to me as well is like to to be fair to like these kind of you know um legacy banks and like you know kind of uh-huh. existing existing you know on uber and airbnb and so on like um it's been uh although it, although in, i suppose it, it would be like tech technically possible to um you know be giving someone shares in uber every time they ride an uber like it that's like that would be like a very very difficult technical challenge based on like on like the existing legal system and existing kind of you know ownership uh-huh. uh, on ownership as we know it so it is um whereas whereas it's very very easy to do using blockchain technology you know so it's um it's yeah i don't think like it's i don't think it's necessary to even like paint the kind of these these you know uber and airbnb and these other kind of other big companies as as baddies particularly it's just like there's a we i think a more useful way of thinking about it is there's just a new and better and fairer way of doing things now like and yeah. the block the blockchain has enabled that you know and that didn't exist before and so let's go let's do it you know and that i think the, the so and the, i'm very you know the ownership piece seems absolutely to be heading in the the right direction i am you know i think anyone is um I think we're right to be concerned around um, the yeah the hoarding of money and the kind of the the first 
mover advantage, if you like, of mm. like people that got into Bitcoin or Ethereum early and are now sitting on just like massive stacks of you know like dollar yep. value of of coins. Um, and uh, I, I, there is, but you know, but there are some now some really interesting projects um, seeking to address that in a way. The so, for example, Circles and also the. Um, the Democracy Earth UBI experiment, two two different universal basic income projects on on the blockchain, mm. Um, mm. taking actually have very different approaches. So Circles is based on a kind of like web of trust approach, where um, basically, actually on a technical level at least, everyone has their own currency issued like um, is issued their own currency at a constant rate each month, and then like the web of trust determines who will accept who you know who else's currency um and the the mm. proof of, the proof of human or the democracy earth um universal basic income is based on instead on a kind of more traditional kind of what they're calling proof of humanity like you have to like create uh, go to a site and like prove you're a human by recording a video and like writing a message on a piece of paper and so on and um uh then and if you can prove you're a human then you start getting issued this universal basic income now, um, I, they, they both, yeah, they both seem. Viable. How do you prove you're human? What do you do? Is it you? You have to, you have to record your record a video of you saying some stuff. You have to like write, um, like write like your name and the current date on a piece of paper and like show it on a photograph and stuff like What's this. I called the Voight comp test. Is that, that could be like a Blade Runner scene waiting to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Turtle is right. on its back. <laughs> what do you do? Do you get your UBI or not? <laughs> right, exactly. It could, could get increasingly, you know, challenging and complicated, and or ent- <laughs> let's say at least entertaining ways of of mini- proving you're a human. But, yes, definitely. Um, um, but anyway, one way or another, I'm. Uh, so I think I think over the next couple of years, someone is going to crack this. Someone is going to crack like a really good way of doing a uni- the, a universal basic income on the blockchain, um, yeah. and that will be super exciting, you know, just, and, um, will help to, uh, well, should help to kind of like even out or elite, well, even out some of the inequalities that we're already seeing in the space, or uh, we could say maybe better, like at least provide a kind of like, um, baseline and leg up for, for for any, for any, for anyone that's like late to the space, you know, because we, what we don't want to do is like get into this, um, kind of recreate what we uh, what is mm. what is a consequence of just you know of land grabs in the time of enclosure you know at some point in time yeah. some we decided okay land is a thing that can now be owned you know and like <laughs> yes. that, or, or a small number of people decided that basically i mean i mean this is i'm being a bit poetic here but like you know it's like sure. the people the people that first decided that it was possible to loan and um, own land of course, then like took most of the land. And then these other, these other you know, probably uh, just like slightly slower, possibly like kinder people who were just like, <laughs> yeah. what, like land's not a thing you can own. Like, I don't want to yeah. own land. Then it's like, oh shit, all the land's been taken. You know, it's like, and now and now it's some of the kind of like the kindest and, and most patient folk that actually yes. are, to- are totally without. So like we don't, we, we, I I, uh, I hope that we can be conscious of this dynamic in the context of the crypto and blockchain space and find better ways of of handling it, such that it basically you know we don't kind of essentially recreate. Isn't it a bit late? Well, it, no, I don't think it is. You know, not in the context of um, 
of the kind of uh, the air, you know, the kind of airdrops that are going on. That is to say, if there's a, if there's continually a way for people to own a share of the products, the crypto products and protocols that they're using, then that's awesome. And yeah. if there if there is a, if there are things like you know universal basic income, um, then that's also great. And I'm sure that the crypto community will. Um, or, or I think there's every possibility that if enough. Uh, socially minded people get involved in the crypto space then we will think of other creative ways for ensuring that there isn't this excessive first mover advantage you know i think it's it, yeah. fair enough it's it's okay to some degree that people who got into this space earlier like yeah. and, pi- and pioneered this technology are rewarded for that but i just i'm just calling for a certain uh, just restraint there that like and uh and yeah just at, at the very least there being like meaningful roots in to for kind of generating you know crypto wealth for anyone that uh, that you know that comes into the space at any point yeah i've been trying to wrap my head around a bitcoin reserve currency and like what that looks like if it's possible that the world operates on that and the pros and cons and it's just been testing the limits of my you know macroeconomic monetary policy knowledge cuz it all comes down to it's this fascinating question of like, do you do we trust governments? What's happened to our trust mm. in institutions? And what happens if we lose all trust? It's easy to kind of rail against it, but at some mm. point you realize that these tools are there for a reason to try and guide the shaping of how we've structured our current society. And so mm-hmm. if you just wash all that away, it might not be such an easy interim period. And uh, yeah, yeah that, that's a fascinating, a big topic to, to approach. I, I mean, I think it's, I consider it like um, more likely than not that Bitcoin or perhaps Ethereum or, or, you know, some, or some other cryptocurrency will become the dominant reserve currency in our lifetimes. I feel um, the same. Yeah. The uh, and the the fact is, it's you know, it again, it's just like it's just a better option, you know, like like and it, the, there's some you can read some fascinating stuff around how the U.S. dollar being the global reserve currency has to, has really screwed the U.S. in lots of ways, and for example, mm-hmm. has has resulted in um, the the continuing sh- like strength of the of the dollar or the import global importance of the dollar having being a uh, an important cause for the decimation of the um, the U.S. manufacturing, in, you know, industry, and that then, in turn, uh, being a, a cause for the rise of of Trumpism. You know, it's the people that, have, that mm. Trump has huge support in all of these towns that had fought, formerly had like really healthy manufacturing bases, like good, you know, good quality jobs, like building cars or whatever. A lot of that doesn't happen in the in the states anymore, and actually, you can trace that to the kind of like the fact that that the US dollar became has become such an important global currency. So it's like the fact that the, the fact that the dollar is the global reserve currency isn't even re- you know you could argue isn't even really helping the united states and that yeah. that is that it's just it's just a bad idea for for the currency of any one nation to become the currency of the world <laughs> and like a much better solution a much better solution is to have a currency that is not Dogecoin. the currency of any yeah there we go you know some some currency which is not also the you know a currency that people of a particular country are relying on to like you know to yes buy, yes. buy food with and get paid with that that actually 
um, once you once you sort of really like take into account all the different factors, might be a much better solution for for everybody, including the including the United States. So, and that that's interesting. Uh, I hadn't seen that perspective before. Yeah, and that and you know that simply wasn't possible before really you know okay well the, mm. you know the united nations made some attempt at it with with SD, like special drawing rights sdr like um over, you know over the past decades but for one reason or another they they never really took off but um yeah we, we, we certainly in, in you know with with blockchain technology we we have that possibility now we have and we we have the possibility of you know, agreeing that um to uh well let's say placing our our faith in the in mathematics in uh, the mathematics of cryptography um you know rather than uh our faith in military might which is really what the, the what is the, the what makes the the US dollar the global reserve currency is that they've got they've got the biggest military and um the and and it's maybe it's worth saying also that that military is um, I think this is it's an interesting one. I'd like, I'd like to think about more. But that that uh-huh. military is is based on oil, right? Like quite quite, and whereas um, bit and that and consu- I think if the if the U.S. military was a country, it would like be be like kind of the, the up there in sort of the top ten. Um, yeah, uh, largest of, of G, well, G, GDP. I was actually thinking also by carbon emissions or like an energy ah, consumption yeah. in the world, right? Because people complain about Bitcoin's energy consumption and say, oh, you know, uh-huh. it's, it's kind of alongside Turkey or Switzerland or something right now. But mm. but it's um, but if if we uh, yeah, I think a useful comparison is the U.S. military. If we say actually that that's what <laughs> that's what the, it, the Bitcoin has the potential to. Um, uh, to massively reduce the need for uh, military, uh, well, for just for military mm. forces, but for, for the for the demonstration of military might, only a fraction of the military of, of the United States or any given country is is used. It's mainly like a dick waving thing, right? Like in the yeah. con- in, in the context of trying to uh, like yeah, es- establish some kind of um, supremacy. In, well, in multiple ways, but one you know one is is connected to to currency. So if we could like take that the need to do that out of the equation, then I'd be really curious to see what effect that might have on um, the yeah the the, the need the the, the demand for, for for military might and and for emissions and yeah. So the the final piece of this is that the uh, Bitcoin, whilst it uses huge amount of energy, it uses electricity, like quite specifically electricity, right? Which at least has the possibility of being uh, greened or like regenerated through renewable sources. Whereas the yeah. whereas most militaries much more specifically rely on oil, oil. you know, like yeah. so, yeah, and that and which 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 doesn't have the possibility of being. Uh, you know, greened or really replaced by renewable resources. Like, I don't think you don't think anyone's proposing kind of like solar powered tanks, you know, or kind of uh, <laughs> anytime soon. So it's uh, mm. yes, it's super interesting to uh, the whole like, the whole question of like you know Bitcoin or some or, or Ethereum or some other currency becoming a global reserve asset. I think is a, a really fascinating story that will be with us for a number of decades. Yeah, the battle between the. Chinese central bank digital currency, Bitcoin, Facebook was about to get in into the game with with Libra that we're about to watch 
a fascinating war unfold in that regard. But isn't it? I mean, there's nothing more solar punk than imagine giant floating Bitcoin mining renewable connected to geothermal mining rigs is there with beautiful like installations on them. I love that idea. Well, it's, but it's still something that still doesn't sit quite right with me. Like I think I'm happy to sort of, um, uh, like back Bitcoin in the context of it being a kind of transition tool or like a, a doorway into a new world. But over the long term, it just seems like madness to me that like, we would um, be, uh, we would stay with a, a proof of work cryptocurrency. That we would be like, just you know, because and, and let's let, let's say you know, even producing um, the kind of solar panels or like the, just the equipment to properly you know uh, extract geothermal energy and so on, like mm. that that still requires lots of resources, particularly solar panels, yeah, like requiring of- significant amounts of rare earth minerals. Like so, like if there was another option that simply didn't require that energy extraction or you know generation like but isn't it the best cryptography all? the proof of work is it isn't that the the gold standard I'm, I'm not totally across that that was my basic understanding yeah uh i no i i think i consider it to be like um the kind of most uh, a, an effective but very primitive consensus okay. mechanism and I, i'm i think it's entirely possible that um in fact i hope it's the case that we will settle upon uh, alternative consensus mechanisms that are, um, uh, uh, say, secure, secure for our, the, our purposes, um, and uh, that uh, that someday we can put Bitcoin in a museum. But like, I think you mm. know, I think it, I, th- I think it has a it, for for the foreseeable future, it has an important role to play. Um, but yeah, this is, I mean, this is, this is an active area of, of research. There's an interesting project called Space Mesh, who have a very um, kind of metamodern outlook, uh, who are developing a cryptocurrency based on what they call proof of space, um, uh-huh. which is like proof of actual kind of, um, uh, so rather than processing power, it's actually proving that you have a certain amount of disk space, like free on your hard drive or on your mobile phone or something like this, which is, ex- mm. ex- which is incredibly low power and potentially um much more equitable because like people all around the world have digital devices with spare disk space that um uh that uh in a way that they might not have like computers with powerful kind of (laughs) gpu processors that are capable of mining bitcoin and so on so this is yeah this is like there's innovation going on in this area still and um if we can uh uh yeah, I would put so all of those, you know, ra- that it make, I think e- even more solar punk than um, than kind of than Bitcoin mining rigs like clustering around uh, beautiful waterfalls um, in order to extract yeah. their their hydroelectricity would just be the beautiful waterfalls themselves and us going there <laughs> yes. to kind of and, right. and, us, and us going there to kind of like you know appreciate their their pure majesty so um yeah let, let's see but happy happy for bitcoin to be the kind of the, the doorway the interim i um i encourage everyone to go and and check out uh autopia and seeds i want to uh shift away from like this fascinating discussion which you can hear in both of us has really grabbed a lot of our imagination and um 
yeah, I encourage anyone listening that hasn't really wrapped their head around this to to, to dig into the narrative of what's going on underneath just the, the financial change that is happening of centralization to decentralization and one of the biggest transfers of wealth that's ever going to happen in human history and and watching it unfold is proving it it's the most fascinating soap opera that i've ever watched every week if you're paying attention there's something really fascinating going on so um yeah definitely it's not too late to get involved there's a lot of fascinating projects and uh get in there so that you we can help craft it together because it's anyone's game right now we're all figuring out as we go along so are there any are there any last thoughts on um crypto before we jump into the psychedelic world a bit together um yeah just to say i just highlight so we mentioned seeds which um is uh like a cryptocurrency that's attempting it's hard to promote ecological regeneration and furthermore, is 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 intending to become like a stable means of payment, um, uh, with its purchasing power actually a constant over time. Uh, so check them out at joinseeds.com. There's um, Cello, which is focused more on kind of banking the unbanked, like helping the, mm-hmm. the couple of billion people that have smartphones but not bank accounts to access um, basic financial services. And there's a yeah, there's a really fantastic team of people working on that. Cello.org. Um, I mentioned the Universal Basic Income Projects um, uh, circles and and the one run by Democracy Earth. Um, and last last one, Regen Network, which is a, a form of um, kind of uh, decentralized carbon credits or decentralized kind of mm. ecological credits, which is actually intending to like pay farmers for regenerating their land. So. Um, wow. Yeah, there's there's a lot of greed and there's a lot of bullshit in this space, but you know there there there's also some really fantastic you know projects with so, social and ecological purpose at their heart, and I've just given you a little taste there. Yeah, lots to delve into. So, shifting gears a little bit, but it's it's a similar story really. We're talking about some of the most transformational technology known to humans, i.e., plant medicine, psychedelics suddenly hitting the mainstream, coming online and being used in wonderful ways and slightly shady ways and mixing with capitalism. I think this fascinating process unfurling between before our eyes of how things can be anything, apparently, can be co-opted by late-stage capitalism. There is nothing mm-hmm. too holy or sacred and it's, it's nuanced. There's so many wonderful uh, shades of it. I listened to... Uh, Alexander Boehner and Jamie Wheel talk a couple. Yeah, of Yeah, I listened to that yesterday. Comes, yeah, yeah, just wow, really got up to speed with with the the subtleties of what's going on. And um, yeah, what what are you seeing? You've been deeply involved in this for a while. It's obviously played a really powerful part in your own transformation. And um, where are you at with it? What's exciting you about it? What, do you have any trepidations? Where where are you with it? Um. Where am I at with it? I I'm not exactly surprised by by like what what has happened or what's unfolding. It's like yeah. um, I I mean I, and I think it's still I I anticipate that um, the medicalization of psychedelics, the corporatization of psychedelics, you know, we might say. Um, will still result in um, more widespread available 
availability of the substance or like easier availability for, of the substances for uh, personal and spiritual use. What do I mean by that? It's like if I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I anticipate that medicalization will be good for decriminalization, you know, like by this, it yeah. will, it, it's going like to help to melt, melt away the psychedelic taboo such that um, I hope and, and intend for there to be like, you know, straightforward ways of uh, acquiring or legal ways of at least kind of growing mushrooms, for example, for, for, for personal kind of entheogenic spiritual use, which, yeah. which I consider to be, and clearly Jamie will consider to be like, you know, very separate to their, their medical use and, and which, and, and I think they're, but both both the spiritual, the medical, and indeed I think the recreational, like all have uh, are all legitimate, or at least potentially legitimate uses of of psychedelics. I don't think it's for anyone to say you no know, psychedelics should be used in this way, and not this way. Um, and there are millions of people out there in the world who will benefit from psychedelics in a kind of medical medical context. Um, yes, you know, e- even if that is um, rather. Uh, you know, sterile, clinical, you know, you know, by by design, um, it's still likely to do a lot of people a lot of good. Um, I think if the, the problem is like if we if that's if that's the only way in which they are used or can be used, then or, or, then yeah, obviously that's like a serious problem, like because that would be selling their potential way short. And where I think it's um, their uh, their real transformative power. Yeah, lies in there like ceremonial or, or ritualistic mm-hmm. use and that's almost like um uh, uh yeah this is um this is a scene that has existed for a long time and will continue to exist almost almost feels like orthogonal like to the current debates around the corporatization and medicalization of of Mm. psychedelics it's like if um and uh so i I actually so i'm I'm not that uh, the answer is i'm not that worried about it um okay i i and 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 uh, uh, started off by saying not that surprised you know it's like yes capitalism like (laughs) like you know i i was i was never under any illusion that like psychedelics were going to kind of just like melt like melt away capitalism like and then um and would have been nice though hey (laughs) yeah well it's maybe what's 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 gonna like um create something better than capitalism outcompete capitalism as the as the metamodernists say is Uh is you and me you know it's like like, we're we're, we're the ones that are going to have to do the work and psychedelics can be a useful tool for us kind of in the first instance like healing us from past traumas and then as we go deeper and like maybe explore them in 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 ritual contexts actually receiving like just you know kind of nourishment and 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 insight beyond what we thought was possible and but and it's it's and and then as we come out of those experiences as like healthy empowered humans it's up to us to actually then yeah choose to direct our energies towards new forms of decision making new forms of ownership um and things that and and create an economic system which is uh yeah which is just you know better than the one we have in in every conceivable way so 
yeah. yeah, I guess that gives a summary of where where I'm at and maybe where I see some of the connections to what we were discussing before. I mean, gosh, just imagine a global blockchain-based, decentralized, user-owned, psych- psychedelic distribution service you know i mean that sounds like you know 10 years ago that that would have sound really far-fetched and at this point it's like that could be not too far away and that's Mm -hmm. i don't know i I get some hope from that and what really interests me is uh the intersection of the psychedelic and the political um Mm -hmm. you mentioned in another podcast the story of gail bradbrook from Extinction Rebellion mm-hmm. and how that whole movement stemmed from her connection to ayahuasca and her ongoing connection to ceremonial practice. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of potential in that. You know, the the, the luminaries of the '60s saw saw the potential, the first glimmers of that, and they they did a pretty good job with with the acid they had on hand. But now it seems to be I don't know. There seems to be a slightly more grounded, widespread integrated approach to using these ceremonial practices and yeah i remain optimistic that the you know the flowering of consciousness and more than that the kind of uh, integrative shadow work which occurs particularly with you know the ayahuasca and other dmt molecules wow i just think there's a lot of potential there if we can start to normalize that and it it it, it i'm hopeful i guess that's what i'd say around that yeah, I mean, as you will know, they're incredibly contextual um, substances, and they're in many ways they're kind of um, you know only as good, only as as useful as their their context. Um, yes. Now, uh, it's I, I'm I'm super excited to see organisations like like Maps and like Usona, um, you know, still as major players in this space. And uh, also very, maybe even kind of even more excited to um, witness the direction that synthesis seems to be going, which one of the, mm. the largest sort of psychedelic um, retreat organizations, uh, for as long as the psychedelic society was running its psychedelic experience retreats, were kind of our main competitor. Um, we've actually mm. stopped with that; those retreats actually separated off to a different um, organization called Alalaho which is currently mm-hmm. facing some challenges in relation to COVID for sure, but also Brexit. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, synth- yes. Um, s- what, a guy that's on the board of Synthesis, sorry, not, no, I think advisory board, be pardon, is uh, Bennett Zellner, who I actually did mm-hmm. have a conversation with a uh, Psychedelic Society event probably four, maybe four or five months ago now around mm. what he calls the, the pollination approach, which um he's uh, he's pushing for the he's pushing the idea of of locally owned and run psychedelic wellness centers that are mm. as places that that people can go to actually have kind of psychedelic experiences potentially both in the kind of medical and more ceremonial contexts mm-hmm. um, that would be like deeply embedded and integrated with their local communities so that would have links to maybe there's a job center you know as part of the uh, for, you know as part of the, the psychedelic wellness center so because mm. this is so that what it's like people have these you know these transformative experiences and then there's support and opportunities for them 
to to actually to change their lives in a in a kind of uh, effective and and uh, and you know way way that makes them feel like well cared for. Uh, it's what's uh, at what's well at worst is dangerous and like a, you know at best is a kind of like missed opportunity is when yeah. people have these kind of experiences and like oh my god i need to i need to change my life you know <laughs> i need to do something totally different but like don't have the support to to work that mm. out properly and like maybe you know you can hear stories of people just like you know quitting their job or kind of like leaving a relationship or something like this um uh in like quite like abrupt ways and it's like okay fine maybe the job wasn't right or maybe the relationship wasn't right but what would be even better is if there was um rather than just like fully leaping into the unknown was that like supportive structures to help guide people to you know in directions that um were maybe more likely or likely to result in in better long-term outcomes so that's the kind of that's the kind of uh vibe of these centers it's like uh, well, you mentioned the word integration. You know, it's like it's it's integration, but not just yeah, not not just at the level of the individual, kind of at the level of the community. It's like okay, cool. It's like great if you want to integrate your experiences and kind of like come to terms with some sort of you know, find some new narrative for um, for past life events. But um, or and also, how can you? What does integration mean at the level of the, of the community? How can you take this experience? And turn it into something which is in, in in service of the place that you live, and that um, those ideas like really resonate with me, um, including yeah, the idea that the these these centres would actually be cooperatively owned. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, there's I love some that. there's some there's some rad you know thinking going on 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 these topics, and uh, I'm. Yeah, I'm re- I'm relatively optimistic that <clears throat> given uh, given two equivalent uh, like offerings um, mm-hmm. for or like ways of having a psychedelic experience, one that is locally owned and and run, one which is kind of operated by some kind of you know multi profit making multinational skynet uh, perhaps you know at least over time people will come to understand that choice and will opt for the one which is you know which is which is kind of locally end and run so um it's uh uh it's it, it, let, let's see it's <clears throat> but it certainly seems that there are plenty of people not least tim ferris <clears throat> excuse me um mm who are uh, acutely aware of this uh, of some of the issues in, in in this space right now and I, I, I anticipate that there will be good kind of cooperative and non-profit alternatives to some of the the big corporate players and 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 from that point it's up to us you know it's up to each of us to to, to choose to, to go with with those um, yeah the, the alternatives rather than just um, uh, they, those big players, and yeah, wow. There's uh, a there's a beautiful. Oh, sorry, yeah. go on. Yeah, and and I say it's, you know, and, and I acknowledge that's not simple. You know, like at some at certain point, people are saying the same thing about Amazon, right? It's like mm. ju- you know, we just have to choose to shop at our local bookshop rather than use Amazon. <laughs> yes. What happened? You, you know, people people no no one did, and now Amazon <laughs> has this like total global monopoly. You know, across, stretching across like 
multiple you know different multiple sectors planets of the economy. yeah right so like i'm not saying it's um it's not guaranteed to turn out well and maybe let's maybe we can take uh some or we'll learn some cautionary lessons from the ways in which like you know monopolies continue to emerge even in recent times there's a beautiful thread through our discussion thank you for going on such a wide-ranging and uh exciting tour of what's going on in in your life in the world that this uh this this theme of, of community and this is this is my wheelhouse and my work is is how do we create these new containers for ritual for integration for trauma work and how do we leverage the power of the blockchain of DAOs? how do we i'm glad that we started with totness because i i felt we were going to get pretty cybernetic and i think to balance that <laughs> with a, a sense of place and home mm-hmm. and then really it, to be able to add in a, a really deep ritual spiritual practice with an integrated psychedelic medicine component. And I think we've, a, along with the collective such as Inspiral, you've got all the pieces there. That's it. You know, I feel alive looking at the, those puzzle pieces. And um, yeah, Stephen, I see you as someone that's really putting them all together, man. I'm really inspired by your work, how you're showing up in the world. And it's been really lovely to spend this time together. I hope we get to have another discussion soon. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, there's, I'm sure there's a lot more we could talk about. So let's hope to get we come together again soon. Yeah, round two. So I direct people to your website. I'd also encourage them to sign up to your newsletter. Um, oh, I have to touch on this beautiful NFT project that you put together. Thank you for introducing me to <laughs> that version of the Dabi Ching. Is it Jonathan, someone or other? Jonathan um, Star, yeah. Yeah, I've been loving it. I've been reading it every morning. It's beautiful. Mm. Steven's a – they're your photos, right? Are they? No, they're all open source from Unsplash. Aha. So he's put together this wonderful project um, matching stunning images with different verses of the Tao Te Ching, and he's been selling them and donating some of those profits towards a good cause. So, uh, yeah, check out his his newsletter. Subscribe. It's it's a wealth of, of information. And uh, is there anything else you'd want to – share with with people exciting things that are coming up or um we will be running another round of the tools for the regenerative renaissance course uh so yeah probably signing up to my newsletter is a good way of hearing about that but this is a six week better than free course that that is to say you actually get paid in seeds if you complete the course um covering regenerative agriculture decentralized connectivity uh, regenerative money some of the kind of crypto projects that we've mentioned today decentralized organizing horizontal leadership and cooperative ownership so yeah lots of the stuff that we've chatted about today we, we cover in that that course that i run with my dear friend and colleague phoebe Tickell. wow i'm i believe charles eisenstein dropped in and lent some of his sacred Logos to the experience. <laughs> he, he did. We, had a, we were delighted to have a bonus session with him towards the end of the last course. And uh, yeah, we had a really fun, yeah, we had guest experts coming to teach on on every of 
everyone at the sessions and we had a really fantastic caliber of, of, of guests this time. So we hope to repeat that for the next course and bring in some of the kind of founders and sort of key, um, key movers and shakers uh, related to each of these topics. Wow. I'm not sure that lines up with the Melbourne time zone, but if it does, I'd love to. I'd love to ah, I think, well, I think this, uh, we, that was actually some, we did have some feedback on that. So we will be running this next one at a time that's um, more suitable for people, uh, east of east east of europe this time yeah yeah oh wicked that's great news um as a bit of a teaser the next discussion that i'd like to have with you because i have a sense that this is something that you think about and feel into deeply is the the integration of the political and the spiritual it's a it's a topic that i've been thinking a lot about lately i actually asked charles a question on clubhouse about this the other day and um yeah his answer's been sitting with me ever since this yeah, um, if it's something you briefly want to touch on now, I guess the question I'd have for you is, do you feel that you've integrated those two things in a way that's healthy and sustainable for you at the moment? Um, the, do you say the political and the spiritual? Yeah, for me, yeah. I often feel pulled in two directions. The grief of the meta crisis compels me to more and more action and change which can pull me out mm. of my body and out of my connection with with the Tao. and mm -hmm. so i've kind of resigned myself to this you know oscillation between the two which works in its own way but i often see other folks who seem usually older people to uh, to be fair that uh kind of really blend those two things together and uh, mm -hmm. i don't know i get a sneaking suspicion that's something that y you might have something to share about yeah um what comes to mind hmm. creativity comes to mind that the a lot that there's a lot of politics that is that is oppositional that is based on 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 fighting things and the um and there's also a kind of you know politics or or change that that's based on creation or, or indeed co-creation and uh it's uh something that i get from from the doubt that that and actually at the, the deepest levels of reality are you know mm. are, are a kind of co-creation um a kind of you know mutual dream and so to to align our uh for our, for our for our politics, for our change making, to be in that kind of like co-creative rather than oppositional form, seems to me to align with something very deep about reality, and that mm. for, for me has resulted in a great deal of well, yeah, <laughs> peace, satisfaction, well-being, mm -hmm. and uh, and you know in enjoyment. I can find there's. Um, uh, for for as long as I'm I'm, I'm aligned with that co-creative current, then I mm. say I I rarely feel fear. It's uh, mm. there's there's this sense of uh, that you know we, you know we, we are together uh, cr creating that that which needs to be created. So yeah, just in, in inviting people to consider um, in what ways they are. They find themselves in, you know, in oppositional stances of of pushing back against things and fighting against things. And I'm not saying that's never the way. You know, for sure there are moments where that's important. But um, mm. uh, that 
but it's, but yeah, in my contemplation of of the Tao and of of nature, it seems that much more often nature is in that 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 co-creative place, and maybe there's some wisdom in that. Mm, that spoke to me. I'm smiling. I'm feeling the hope, and um, excited to be on the journey with you, Stephen. Thanks again for joining me today. hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as I did. Show notes are available online at www.joelightfoot.org, where you can also find more information about my book, A Collective Blooming. Music by Johnny Eagle. Until next time, be well, my friends.